Lord, tonight we receive an apostolic blessing flowing from the throne room of God. Lord, your hand is upon us. You said you never leave us or forsake us, but lo, you're with us always, even unto the end of the age. Lord, those that are battling isolation, those that are battling downcast and distress, we take that off of you right now in the name of Jesus. And we bring you into the fullness of the message of the Lord for your heart tonight. We release it in this place and those that are watching. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the victory. Lord, we thank you that we are the victors. And we love you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed shouted, Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated, okay? Hallelujah. This is a day the Lord has made. We'll gripe and grumble and complain about it. Oh, no, that's the other church, all right? You know. How many of you know that they, they say there's two kinds of churches? First kind of church you go in is so cold you can hang meat in it. How many have ever been in a church like that? You know? And the second kind of church is if a mosquito was to come in, he'd leave singing, there's power in the blood. I, I believe, I believe that's, that's, you, you in Florida have mosquitoes, right? Weren't you, aren't you the exporters of mosquitoes? You know, well, we're, we're carrying our part over in Texas. Hallelujah. It's a real delight to be with you tonight. It's a real honor to be with, uh, Apostle Trevor Banks and his lovely daughter, I mean wife, uh, First Lady Martha. Hallelujah. leave that alone, all right? Uh, I like her. She was holding the grandbabies today and was having a great time at it. So it does my heart good to see Grandma loving on the grandchildren. I mean, no grandchildren are wonderful, right? Hallelujah. I found out that being a grandparent, the happiest day, now, Josh, Justin, don't run, run off, buddy. Stay right there, okay? All right. The happiest time of the, of the weekend for me is on Friday night. That's when the the grandchildren are coming. The greatest, happiest time is Sunday night when the taillights are going down the street. That's the greatest time. Hallelujah. How I many of you know it's always good to give them back? Hallelujah. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive in the name of Jesus. All right. Hallelujah. You know, but it is really an honor to be in the great state of Florida. I, I flew into Orlando last night, and I was waiting on my ride, Joseph and Brother Desmond, and was waiting for them to come, and I was standing there by faith that they were on their way, and uh, about every 10th car was a convertible. I thought, yeah, man, I am in Florida, you know? Reminded me of a story about a man, he retired down here from the north, and he was about 87 years old, and Man, he had never had a convertible, so he got a, a bonus uh, check from somebody. And so he went down to the local dealer, and he bought one of these little sporty convertibles. And Man, I mean, he took it out on the road, and I mean, he floored it to the floorboard. I mean, he's doing 90 to 100 like Brother Desmond was doing last night when we were coming here. I mean, he just zooming down the road, you know. And things, you know, and, 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 and man, I mean, he was going faster. And he said, I wonder how much faster this thing going. He's up to 100, over 100 miles an hour. He's 87 years old. And about that time, he went by one of the Florida's finest that had the bubble gum machine on top of his car, you know. 
And boy, I mean, he then so this old cop he took out after him, you know. And finally, the the man looked in the rearview mirror and he thought, well, I can outrun this guy. I got a sporty car. So he floorboarded him more. He's up to 110, 150 miles an hour. And that cop's right on his tail, you know. Finally, the old man realized, I'm not going to win this one. So he pulled over. So the cop man he gets out, puts on his Smokey the Bear hat. He walks up there and he says, "Sir, I want you to know it's four o'clock." It's time for my shift to change. He said, can you give me one good reason why I shouldn't write you a ticket before I go off my schedule? And the old man looked at him and says, well, officer, all I can think of was, he said, my wife ran off with a police officer 10 years ago, and I thought you were bringing her back. <laughs> you know? Officer said, go ahead, son. Have a nice trip. All right. You know, so. Hallelujah. But it's a great time. Hallelujah. How many of you know we're having a great time in the kingdom of God? You know, we got to learn to laugh. We got to learn to cry. We got to learn to sympathize. We got to learn all those things. And, and it, once again, I want to say thank you for allowing me to come to the great sunshine state, to the sunrise city. You know? And, uh, yeah. Always try to study a little bit about the place where I'm going in case there's any crooks there. <laughs> Might be some of my kinfolk, you know, I don't know, you know, but uh, but uh, I realize this is the sun, Sunrise City, but I don't like the, the counter, and they say San Francisco's the sunset. <laughs> okay, we'll leave that alone, all right? You know, but y'all are welcome to come to Texas, just don't come to my house, all right? Okay, but anyway, uh, but we're honored to be here, and thank you very much. It's a uh, we're entering into an unusual time in the body of Christ, and I appreciated so much today, uh, Apostle Dave. How many enjoyed his ministry? Uh, it was tremendous, you know. Uh, man, he, he was picking it up and setting it down, as we say in Texas. Uh, he was just filling my cup, and it was overflowing, and, and uh, I'm very thankful for your words that you expressed today, and your family, Michelle and JJ. I just enjoyed the fellowship today. But I want to go somewhere tonight because we're talking about the Great Reset. I think this is a, a great theme for where we're going. And I need Justin, to, if you would, to come stand right here beside me. Would you, Brother Justin? While he's coming, give, give Justin a good hand. Doesn't he do a good job? All right. Now, he didn't know I was going to do this, so he has no idea what I'm going to do. So I'm going to make him stand there and guess for a while, all right? Okay. You know? But I want us to look at a, a definition of the word reset. Now, you may have gotten this already, but I'm going to give you the one that I've seen here. To reset something means to move something back to its original place or position. It means to restore the device to its creator's original design. By pushing the reset button... It will place the device into proper alignment and give it a fresh start. Man, if I see anything, and I know apostles can confirm this, what I see on the body of Christ is a great deal of weariness. We keep spinning our wheels and spinning our wheels thinking we're going somewhere, and we're telling everybody that we're busy and we're achieving nothing. And, it, and we're seeing a lot of that happen, you know. Why? Because we don't understand the original. I want to ask Justin a question here. Justin, am 
my man. He helped me out in the bookstore today. He took my books. By the way, I got some books over there. Thought I'd throw that in there right here. But Justin, give us a description. You answer my question. Uh, your father, was he tall or short? Tall. Okay. Was Did he wear a beard or a mustache? A mustache. Okay. Did he have long hair or short hair? Long. Short hair. <laughs> really short. All right. Okay. Um, let's see. What size shoes did he wear? 13. Oh, has he got any extra left? You know? Okay. So you know a lot about him, don't you? Okay. Let me ask you about your grandfather. Was your grandfather tall or short? Short. Okay. Uh, did he have a mustache or a beard? Uh, neither. Couldn't tell. Did he wear glasses in his younger days or older days? Uh, neither. Okay. Neither? Oh. Okay. Did he die happy or sad? Happy. Oh, so he's dead. <laughs> okay, that confirms that. All right, okay, all right. Okay. Now, did he like to run, walk, or go in a wheelchair? Uh, run. Run. Okay, all right. So you knew about your grandfather. Now about your great-grandfather. <laughs> Let me ask you about your great-grandfather. Was he tall or short? Not sure. Hmm. Did he have a mustache or a beard? Not sure. Did you ever meet him? No, sir. Okay. Now let me ask you about your great-great-grandfather. Was he tall or short? No clue. <laughs> Do you see what happens? Thank you, Justin. Give Justin a good hand. What I'm trying to get across to us is that the closer we are to something, we think it's the original. But the farther we get away from something that's the original, the more we make up our own design and our own rules of how we want to achieve something. And what has happened with the church is God gave us a design of the original, and what we have done is we have put the original aside, wanting the results of the original with our own way of doing it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so what has happened is, is that we now have a, a society and a culture that we are living in that we think that we are getting the authentic when in actuality we're getting an imitation. And as a re, what has that done is whenever you find the imitation and led by the imitation, you find a whole host of vain imagination and false visions and false dreams that are affecting the, the, the group that is being promoted to them. And so we, we must understand that God has a design for everything in our life. It started with him. It, it, uh, Apostle David talked about that today. It started with him, and it, it is complete in him. Because everything at the end, I know we get into this, uh, you know, end time stuff. And, and for me, the simple, is, the, the simple answer is simply this. It's all consummated in Jesus Christ. Whether I believe it's good or whether I'm talking about the bad, whatever it is, there's some people keep looking for the bad things that are coming along when I realize that Jesus, every good and perfect gift, comes from the Father above. And what he has provided for me are things that are good and beneficial for my life. You see. And so we must realize that if God... In order to be relevant, we've got to go back to the original. What we have done is we've shifted the church to being relevant to the culture, which shifts with every wind of doctrine and every wave that comes sweeping through the body of Christ. 
So as a result, instead of people that are consecrated, we have people that are confused. And so what happens eventually, they come, they sit for a while, and they say, listen, I can get enough confusion down at Denny's. And so I'll just go spend my time down at Denny's because I'm not getting anything here because it's just adding to my confusion. The farther we get away from something, you see, the original, all of a sudden now, oh, we begin to live our life based on what the last generation, and so no longer do we have a great reset, we simply are believing for a recovery. We want to recover what the last generation had, but if they didn't have the original, you don't want to recover that. Are you with me? We want something that is better. We want something that has been as solid. We want something that is foundational. We want something that is con confirmed. We want something that is faith-filled. We want something that the Spirit will abide upon and not just come and visit every once in a while. So when I begin to think about this great reset, Apostle Trevor called me. He says, this is what God's been speaking to me about, the great reset. He said, what's God been speaking to you about that? And I said, well, evidently not that. <laughs> Don't sit there and act so innocent. Y'all act like he, you had it all figured out when he got up and announced it, you know? You're going, what in the world does that mean, you know? See? But see, enough of us have known that when we started out with computers, we didn't start out with Windows. We started out with the old DOS system. I mean, you know, you, you learn to be sanctified with the DOS system. I mean, you realize you knew, found out language you didn't know was in your, your vocabulary. And how many of you have letters and, and documents and stuff still out in cyberspace that you will not see for eternity? How many have that? That was me. But reset. We talked about this. My design is, and my desire is, is that the reason it looks like it is new that we're coming into, it looks new, is because we've gotten away from the original. And God is saying to us, I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing my people, my church, my ones that I am calling out, I'm bringing them back to my original purpose that I designed when I designed the body to take orders from the head. Okay, I'll, I'll move along. I want you to go with me to the book of Nehemiah, all right? Because there's many resets in the, in the, in the scripture, but I, I wanted to come from the aspect of Nehemiah. Matthew, Mark, Nehemiah. A little boy in my church when I was pastoring before God delivered me. Um, he came up to me one time and he said, Pastor, Nehemiah does not follow Mark. <laughs> okay. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you would send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers or tombs, that I may build it. You would send me, you would let me go to the place. You see, his objective was twofold. Number one was to rebuild the wall. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a minute. 
the second was to rebuild the people. You see, they had been in captivity. We know that. But it just didn't start in when they went into Babylon. That captivity started almost uh, 160 years before they went into captivity. And so we see there, and then all of a sudden God gave a word that Cyrus was going to be the one that would come forth, and Cyrus would begin to release them to go back. And first they had to rebuild the temple. Well, the first thing they did is they reestablished the altar. The problem in our churches today is we've eliminated the altar trying to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been in a couple of places recently, and I was standing in a, in a worship service. I was ministering in this church in Texas, and just a beautiful presence of God. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Terry, this is what I want to do everywhere. This place has an open heaven, but they paid the price for it. There's an open heaven. And so I said, Lord, what does it take to have an open heaven? And the Lord spoke to me and says, Terry, there is no open heaven without sacrifice. That's going to get me in trouble, all right? But, I, but the New Testament comes up with four different new uh, sacrifices that we are to offer to God on a continual basis. We sacrifice our body. We sacrifice our resources. We sacrifice our lips unto the Lord. And we talked about that much today. It's not just singing songs and things like that. It's our whole vocabulary that's expressing the, deity, the entity and, and aspects of God. It's all those things. And then he says that we're to sacrifice and bless and obey those that have the rule over us. God has an order. God has a government. And so we, when we begin to see this, he go in, what do they do? Ezra takes them in. They, what do they do? They begin to build the spiritual house first, okay? Which, and as a result of that, with that spiritual reset, it brought great liberty into the midst of it. Listen, I want to tell you that there's a lot of people that they're pursuing and building the spiritual entity and building the spiritual house just so they can have a spiritual experience, and that's all they want. They want no impact outside the doors. They want no impact down in the city hall. They want no impact in the, in the education. They want no impact there. As long as I can come on Sunday morning and get my spiritual high, I'm going to be good and go out and do whatever I want to do. And what happens is whenever you find those places that are like that, that are just spiritual places, they're setting us up to open ourselves up to spiritual deception that will come down the pipe. Nehemiah comes along and he begins to rebuild the soulish part of us, the walls and the people. Knowing the truth is another part of being set free, another part of liberty. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. It's not your interpretation of what the truth is. <laughs> it's not the interpretation of what I think truth is, but it's the person of Jesus Christ, and everything that I bring, I can bring it in Africa, I can bring it in Trinidad, I can bring it in Jamaica, I can bring it in Mexico, wherever I go, because truth is universal, and it has no boundaries whatsoever. But I am not going to export something that tickles the feathers and the soul of just those individuals. Now, this is happening wherever we go. I'm sure you've seen it. I remember recently I was down in the country of Colombia, and a young man came up to me and he goes, oh, Apostle Terry, I haven't seen you for years. He said, I got saved when you came here. I was a young boy, about eight years old, and I got saved under your ministry. I said, wonderful. I said, what are you doing now? He says, I'm pastoring a church. I said, really? Fantastic. 
I'm excited for you. He said, would you come and preach in my church? I said, well, let me see if I can work it out. So we worked it out. So I went to his church, and I'm standing down in the front, you know, and, and so the, the worship team got up, and they started the service. And the first thing that I noticed is they had red lights, green lights, blue lights, white lights, all up and down, you know. I felt like I was in a viewing room at a funeral home. If you've ever been to a funeral home, you know what I'm talking about, all right? But they had all these lights up here, you know? And then, man, they're singing along, and, man, they're really getting into it, you know, and we're doing some of those real rapid songs. And, and then they kind of slowed it down a little bit, and a disco ball dropped down from the ceiling. I had to, I had to make sure I wasn't having an eye, eye infection there right on the spot, you know? And this thing going around and glittering, the little lights are all flashing around and things. And then I'm standing there, and boy, now we're really slowed it down. And all of a sudden, here comes the smoke from the black back of the stage. I thought, dear God, the glory of God is here. <laughs> you know? We done called in the glory of God in spite of what I'm thinking. I bet you it's the disc ball. That's what it is. You know? John Travolta has nothing on God. I'm telling you, you know? And I mean, you know, he, he, I mean, the smoke comes billowing out, you know? And then I look back there, and there's a machine. So, man, I, you know, then, then they get through with that, and then, you know, when all else fails and nothing's working, call on the guest speaker. <laughs> so, man, I get up, and I start, you know, ministering, and I'm going through and ministered to people, got through afterwards, we went for a time of fellowship. So this young kid, he comes running up to me, and he's going, wow, Pastor Apostle Terry, what would you think of that service? I go, well, it was, it was good. It's, it's different. You know, I'm real close to lying, but I can't, you know, I can't get over there, you know. Uh, but I'm getting as close as I can, so i got to move back this way, you know. And then he made the wonderful statement. He said, you know, we've reached a plateau. And he said, uh, we don't know what's caused it. He said, uh, what, what would you suggest? I said, well, being you asked. Now I don't have to lie. Now when you're 6'7", you can get away with things like this, all right? I said to him, I said, hey, I said, what was the deal with the red lights, the blue lights, the white lights, and all that kind of stuff? What, what was all that? He goes, what? I said, in the disco ball, man, I like to fell out of my chair when that thing dropped down. He goes, what? I said, and the smoke, what was the deal with the smoke? He goes, well, we're just trying to create an atmosphere for God to come. I said, oh. He said, have you got any words of wisdom for me? I said, I don't know if they're words of wisdom, but they sure are words of correction. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, when you started this church, what did you do? He goes, oh, Apostle Terry. He said, man, three days a week we fasted and prayed all day, getting ready for our meeting. And he said, man, he said, when we would, we would get ready for the service, he said, we'd go into the service and the atmosphere was just charged with the presence of God. And when they'd hit the music, he said, we didn't need any lights, we didn't need any disco ball, we didn't need any smoke. He said, the glory of God showed up in our midst. I said, really? He said, you wouldn't believe it. 
He said people that would be sitting in their seats and they would get healed and delivered right there, sitting in the midst of the seats. He said, I didn't understand it. We didn't lay hands on anybody. He said people were getting saved and the church was just growing. He said, what do you think? I go, well, I'm not going to give you what I think. I'm going to give you what I, need, I know. I said, I got a question for you. He said, what's that? I said, why don't you go back to that for about six months and see what happens and cut out the smoke sheen, cut out the disco ball, and cut out the lights and just see what God may do. You know? You see, we're trying to impress people who don't care about God. We try to bring them into facilities, trying to impress them with the facilities that this is about God. God is not so insecure that he needs to be impressed. And he doesn't need to impress anybody. God can handle it all on his own. And so we see here that we're, and so this imparting of truth is coming to liberate people. And as a result of that, wherever you find a center of truth, you will find a city, I mean a, a community, a, a godly community that is governed by the government of God and it is impacting the city that you're living in every step of the way. Of course, I see Esther as the body. Esther is the bride. Esther is the concept of that. And it's the whole idea of the bride was to go out and to disciple the nations, to bring God into a many-membered uh, 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 body. And as a result of that, we see that, that Esther represents really a mission to the world is what it represents. So the temple was done. But the problem was there was no city and there were no walls. Now, it's interesting about walls. And I'm not so certain that Jerusalem did this, even though it was the pattern of a lot of the Middle East and still a lot of pattern of that today in a lot of other countries, that whenever they built a city or a town or a village, what they would do is first they would build the walls. And the walls were thick. I mean, you could probably put a chariot and sometimes even two chariots on the wall. It was that thick. But what they all did is instead of building individual houses, everybody's house, the back of their house, was connected to the wall. It was connected to the wall. And so everybody had the same look in the back of their house because it was all connected to the wall. Why? Because they became a community as one. Now what happens is if I got in a fight with Brother Donald over here and had a trouble with Brother Donald and all of a sudden now, we got separated from one another. There became a breach in the wall which began to tear apart the whole city, not just his part and not just my part. And what we have today is we have individual houses that are being built and we cannot impact the culture because we've detached ourselves from the wall. We would rather be more individualistic instead of being attached to the wall that we can protect one another. So the walls were broken down. You break down the walls, you destroy the city. How, do, how does that uh, demonstrate? How do we see that? Let me say this to you. When, they, when uh, Ezra came back, part of their job was they built part of the wall. But how many of you know partial truth won't get you all the way to victory? And we become masters of partial truth and deniers of the real truth. We would rather fight, for, fight against the real truth and embrace the partial truth. Partial truth is truth that I give my own interpretation to. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 20, write it down. 
Because here's a sign of a broken down wall. It said, Paul said to the church at Rome, he says, you have a form of knowledge and truth. It's a mixture. It's man's knowledge and truth. It's a mixture that goes on. Do we see this again and again? In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, uh, for, um, uh, it says, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. Why? Because in forms of godliness, there is no power. There is no power. Ooh, we've got to move along here. And it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. Every form of it. So these formulations that are going on, and we become formulated and phraseology, Christianity, we become all those type of things. And as a result of that, instead of repairing the wall, resetting the wall, what we have done is we continue to tear it down. Are you with me? All right, now look at this. Nehemiah is interesting because Nehemiah did nothing. He was lazy, we think. Until you understand Nehemiah's name, it means the comforter. It means consolation. It means the encourager. It means ambassadorial. Everybody all right? It means a delegate. It means one who is sent forth with orders. I like that. Sent forth with orders. You see, in one of the things that we know, uh, di distinguishing between the apostles that want to be and the apostles that are in the body of Christ, is the apostles that are have orders from headquarters. Ain't nothing you can do to stop them from bringing those orders into fulfillment. Why? Because they are under authority, and that authority has been released unto them. And they're also sent forth with a specific assignment. Most apostles I know, you ask them, I say, what is your assignment? They have no idea. I'm just an apostle. I'm out here doing what apostles do. I say, what apostles do? Like, well, you know, apostle things. I go, yeah, I know. What are apostle things? Well, you know, I mean, you know, like apostles do. I go, yeah, I understand that. I said, so in other words, you're carrying a title that you have no grace nor ability, and so you can't understand why people aren't receiving you because if you don't have the grace, there is no grace to be imparted unto the people to receive what you have. And that makes you as popular as a pork chop in a synagogue when you say that kind of stuff. Now look at this. I want to get to this tonight. I promise you I'll get you out of here before midnight. How long did you go last night? 11.30? Wee little man was you, you know. All right, well, I got more to me, all right? So, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise you I won't keep it. I, you know, Paul preached at midnight. The guy was sitting in the window, fell out and died. Paul went down and raised him from the dead. So if I preach at midnight and some of you die, I ain't never raised anybody from the dead. You got a 50-50 chance. That's all I'm telling you. It's a warning right now. All right. Well, we got to talk about some apostolic things because it's only, and he said it today, it was so good, so clear to me about the apostle and prophet and teacher of, of this concept with introducing the kingdom of God to the body of Christ. It, one of the reasons that the apostles and prophets have been brought back to the forefront once again is that, that they are introducing to the ones who should already know 
the kingdom. And notice here's Nehemiah. Now remember, he represents the Holy Ghost. Notice he's around the soulish. The Holy Ghost is the one who brings the revelation. It's the Holy Ghost. Listen, you can sit here and hear me all night and go back and listen and listen and listen. But if you don't get what I'm saying by the Spirit of God through the avenue of revelation, it's just been a good message. You laughed a little bit. You cried a little bit. You shouted a little bit. But it does you absolutely no good until the revelation dawns on you. But here's the other good part of it. There's some things that will be said tonight that are validating exactly what the Holy Ghost is saying to you. Because the Holy Ghost is the teacher. I'm just the mouthpiece. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. I like this. It says that he was in Shushan. Shushan. <laughs> I went to an Oriental rest restaurant the other day. I had some Shushan. Or, no, I guess it was Susi. Shushi. It says he was in Shushan, the palace. Now, let me say this to leaders, and I will say this to you. You are either a project of the palace or you're a product of the palace. You see, we all know that there are church attenders. There are those that come and they, they do their attendance. They come and if something happens, they get all excited for a little bit, but by the time Monday gets here, why? Because they are a, a person, there's one that is just a project. And there's churches that are built all over the nations of the world that they're geared around mission. It's to do something for somebody. And there's nothing wrong with those, those type of ministries. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're projects. And as a result, everybody gets involved because they want to be involved in a project. And so what happens, we give our money to projects. We give our time to projects. We give our energies to projects. But how many of you know it takes a, cost, a greater cost to be a product of the palace because you've got to sit, you've got to be disciplined, you've got to go through all those type of things, you've got to be patient, you've got to, all those things that we Americans hate. I used the word discipline the other day in the pulpit. pastor told me, he said, I don't want you cussing in my pulpit anymore. I said, what, what, what did I say? And he goes, you said discipline. I said, okay, I'm sorry. Listen, the number, why we are seeing what we're seeing today, according to Fuller, the number one problem in the church today on Sunday morning is not a lack of music. It's not a lack of preaching. It's not a lack of attendance. The number one problem in the church today is boredom. Even our spirit-filled churches have become as predictable as could be. And we got it down. We got it figured out. Why? Because we're worshiping out of our soul and not engaging our spirit. And so as a result, if you're not engaging with God in the spirit realm, you will sit there and you will be bored. That's the reason that there are 4,500 churches a month closing down. And there are thousands that are leaving the church. Why? Because there's more excitement down at Tinny's and, and Jenny's and all those type of places than there is in the house of God. I'm telling you, when they get into the presence of God and the Holy Ghost begins to move, I'm telling you, you can have fun, you can lay on the floor, you can jump, jump, you can dance, you can shout, you can do all those type of things. Church is not boring. And when I leave there, I am not empty. I am full of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah.
Nehemiah. He said, oh, I'm just one person in this whole sea of humanity. You and I have said the same thing. Well, I'm just one person, you know. But listen, God's not asking you to do everything. He just wants you to do your part. You've got something to do in the body of Christ. He gifted you that way. He, he, he put those gifts inside of you that his grace can be demonstrated through your life, whether that is down at Walmart, whether that is at Target, let's see, whether it's at uh, a Cracker Barrel, whether it's that at, at, at down at the beach. Oh, God knows how many know we need witnesses down at the beach. Hallelujah. But you've got to do your part. Several years ago, I was in, once again back in Columbia, and I was doing a, a leadership gathering. There were two ladies that came in. They were in, at that time, they were in their mid-70s. And so I said, what are you two ladies doing? They said, well, we're translators with Wycliffe. I said, oh, really? I said, yeah. I said, well, where do you work? And they said, well, we work with a little tribe down in the jungle. I said, oh, really? I said, well, how did you get here? And they said, well, we had to take a canoe by about five hours in canoe up a river. Then we had to get on a bus and travel about four hours. Then we had to spend the night, and then we had to catch a plane up here to Bogota. I said, you must have really wanted to come. They said, we did. We need it. I said, really? Well, tell me about your ministry. They said, well, when we were young ladies, we decided God wanted us to go to the mission field. I said, oh, that's wonderful. They said, and the Lord led us down to this little tribe of 150 people. Now, all around this little tribe are eight other tribes, and the smallest tribe is 50,000, and the largest tribe is 250,000. And so God led them down to this little tribe. He said, for 25 years, we saw not one convert. 25 years. It's taken us 25 years to learn the language. Don't you know the devil was having a heyday with their mind? You're wasting your time down here. You're not seeing any results. Nothing's happening. But every day they got up and they would go and they would go out and, 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 and they would take one of the guys with them and they would use the word tree and, and on and on and on it goes so they could learn the language. After 25 years, it took him another five years to interpret the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John. Five years. Still, not one convert. How many of you know you've been writing your pastor and say, I think I'm coming home? Not one convert. But once the translation was completed, they started preaching the gospel out of Mark's gospel and John's gospel. And they, people started getting saved. One after another got saved. One after another. And finally the witch doctor said to him, you're ruining my business They said, oh, we're sorry about that. Remember one morning they came and, and they were at the mission house and they looked out and it was rather foggy out there and all of a sudden here was the whole tribe. The tribe had come and, and they told them two weeks before, said, listen, we won't be back because we've got a, we're having our festival. They had a certain festival. And in that festival is where the witch doctor names all the children, which in essence they are dedicating them to the, the gods. And so they begin to fast and pray during that period of time. And in that, this morning, here comes the whole tribe. They show up in, uh, and at their front porch, and they walk out, and they say, what's wrong? He said, oh, you've got to help us. You've got to help us. He says, what's wrong? 
said, well, the witch doctor came to us last night and said he cannot think of one name to name your children. we got to have a name on our children. Can you think of any name? He said, well, there's only one name we know. They brought those little kids up there, man, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now look at this. Those kids, that tribe, all the other tribes, did not know the dialect of each other's tribe. The only tribe that knew all eight dialects was this little tribe of 150 people. And those little kids that were dedicated to Jesus, they're young men and young women, and guess where they are? They're all over those tribes telling people about Jesus Christ and bringing many to Christ all over them. Why? Because somebody had a part. You don't know how long your part's going to take to get where you need to go. So, and Nehemiah understood this. Why? Because he had grown up in the in the in the, uh, 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 the king's palace. He, his position was he was a cupbearer. He attended it. And so, here's the things I want to give to you real quick. Number one, as a product of the palace, here's some things that Nehemiah knew before he ever went to Jerusalem. Number one, he learned the ways of royalty. He learned the ways of royalty. Last, uh, about three years ago, I was sitting with, in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord began to speak to me about the difference between a commoner and royalty. Came up about 29 different things that are different between a commoner and a royalty. A commoner has their own churches. They have their own evangelists. They have their own pastors. They have their own teachers. They have all the same thing that, that, that the uh, royalty churches do. Now, and I appreciated the things that, that uh, Apostle Dave was sharing today about this whole mentality of thinking like a king thinks. And here he says, uh, Nehemiah, he learned the ways of royalty. Let me just give you a few of them. The difference between a commoner and royalty, first of all, a commoner has a slave-servant mentality where royalty has a son and daughter mentality. I know who my daddy is. I know who I belong to. I know where I am. Why? Because I am royalty. A commoner is legalistic, but royalty is legal. I have the right to come into the presence of the king. I have the right to come into your throne room. I have the right to do that. Why? Because I have legal grounds to do that. A, a commoner is always trying to appease God. Oh, if I would just pray more. Oh, if I'd just read the Bible more. Oh, if I'd just go to more church services more. If I would do that, always trying to appease God. But royalty, they appear before God. Here I am, come boldly to the throne of grace, Lord God, that I might receive grace and mercy in the time of need. Here I am again today, Daddy. What's on your agenda? I need to come. I'm appearing before you. But a commoner always is trying to do better. Listen, the Holy Ghost ain't making you better. You can do all your efforts you want to. I'm moving along. A commoner is always asking. Asking. But royalty is always commanding and demanding. He said this today. I thought this guy was going to preach my message. I was getting ready to go run back and kill the CD. DVD or whatever else we got on going here. I was over there praying, God, shut him up, shut him up. I, I got a few things to say. No, I'm just kidding. 
But I love it how the Holy Spirit's trying to communicate some things to us. Listen to this. A commoner tries to be righteous. Tries to be righteous. Now let me say this to you. Originally in the language, righteousness was not a word. But the translators had to use that word because the only one who had rights was the king. And if they would have used the word rights, it could have cost them their head. So they came up with another word called righteous, and everybody has been for centuries trying to figure out what that word means. Because royalty, they don't try to be righteous. They stand on their rights. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his rights, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we would just figure out what our rights are, then we could hold our fists up and say, I got it. I got it. King Jesus rights. King Jesus rights. Kingdom rights. I got it. We have been robbed because of some translations that didn't bring us into the fullness. Jesus said, unless your rights exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, you're not going to get anything. Listen, when we come to the throne of God, we come and dress him based on our rights, not our righteousness. He talked about that in covenant today. If you weren't here, you need to get what he said today. Sweat and all. Hallelujah. A commoner lives in bondage and only seeks relief. Get me out of this. Get me out of free of this in some way. Get me out of it, see. But not one who is royalty. A royalty dwells in liberty and knows it. Dwell in liberty. One of the saddest testimonies in the book of Ezra says, God, give us revival in our bondage. That's why most of the church is praying, God, give us a revival so we can stay bondage. Give us a revival so we can still stay bound up. Why? Because God sends a move and he goes, I sent you a move to bring you into liberty, and yet you continue on in the ways you are. Why? Because we would, we're more comfortable in our bondage than we are in our pursuit of liberty. Let me just give you one more. Is this all right? There, there are many of them, but I'll just give you this one. A commoner seeks popularity. They own the disc balls, disco balls. When I see more pictures of the set people in churches than I do Jesus Christ, something's out of alignment. Oh, you don't hear me. No, 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 you don't hear me. Why? Because we'd rather have a tangible hero than a glorious king guiding our lives. But a royalty seeks authenticity. Huh. Nehemiah had to learn the ways of royalty. The second thing he had to do, he had to learn the ways of battle. 
We all know the scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word warfare there, we always think it's, you know, let's go out and fight. But the, the Greek structure says our apostolic career. The weapons of our apostolic career. See, my whole burden is for you to get in your place. That God designed you for. Why? Because when we stand before him, it's not all the great things that we uh, did in his name. Because we will stand before him and he'll say, I gave you a grace. What did you do with it? That was your career. If you're not in your apostolic career, you're not waging a warfare. You don't have any weapons. You're fighting a war without any weapons. Why? Because you're not in that place of, of fulfilling your career. I know I'm an apostle. My spiritual father confirmed it. My body confirmed it. Leadership has confirmed it over and over again. And I don't move out of that place of trying to be a prophet. I prophesy. I don't try to be a pastor. God help me, you know, or anybody else that I pastor, you know. But, but, but I don't try to be those things. Why? Because I'm not graced to do that. I am graced to be an apostle. And I prophesy out of apostle's grace. I, I shepherd out of apostle's grace. I teach out of apostle's grace. And I evangelize out of apostle's grace. I know what I am. And you have the same capacity inside of you to be what God called you to be because that is where it's at. Moving along. Here's another thing that he learned in the palace. Attention to the little things. When I was pastoring, I had to go around because I was, I was trying to be a shepherd and every after every service I'd have to go around and pick up the sheep droppings. Gum wrappers, paper, clips, you know, all kinds of stuff. I call those sheep droppings. I realized that was not my makeup. My wife, her, her gifting is really a, a helps type of person. And, she's, and her motivation is server. And so everybody, she's real compassionate. So when people wanted somebody to cry with them, they'd always go to my wife. And she'd cry with them. She didn't care if they were right or wrong or different. She'd just cry with them. Oh, bless your heart. God's going to help you. Ah. You know. And I'd say, well, if they want to know the truth then, they would come to me. Okay, we'll leave that alone. All right, you know. But it's the little things. The little details. You see, we, we skim over the little details. We, we get over those. But that the little details is the place where we are found faithful. It's not the big things. It's not the big ministry, the big, the big act, act that we got going on. It's none of that. It's those little bitty things. Why? Because God understood what Song of Solomon said. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that we overlook. It's the little cup of water that somebody needed and you didn't get. It's the, it's the medicine that you need to take to their house. It's somebody that you needed to go and pick up and you didn't do it. It's the little foxes that's spoiling their life. And if you would focus in on the details of those little bitty things, God says, I will make you ruler over much. Yeah. Nehemiah learned that in the palace. He learned that in the palace. It was the littlest thing that he had to figure out. 
He had to figure out if there was poison in the cup. He had to figure out if there were any plots against the king. Little things. Even though it was hearsay, there was always bad news about a king because a king's a leader. If you haven't talked about the leader in a, in a derogatory way lately, guess what? Your day's coming. I'm not prophesying. I just know where we are. Little things. Listen to me. I despise, and in the name of Jesus, I break off of you a shortcut mentality world. We try to get to the glory the shortest way. God had to take the children of Israel 40 years, long way around. I told them in the bus this morning, I said, if a woman would have been in charge, they'd have been there in a day. But how many of you know a man will never stop and ask for direction? We have that sense in us that we don't know where we're going. And all the women sit over in the passenger seat going, I told you. They don't say it. Especially after you've gone past that gas station 16 times, you know. I know it's here somewhere. I know, I know. I've seen it before. Come find out. It's on the other side of town. Hallelujah. Right. Little things. Little mistakes. Listen, the day you make a mistake, correct it. Because it's not going away. And it's not going to get any better. You know, the sooner you jump on that thing, the less power it has. He learned this in the palace. Is everybody all right? Okay, I'm on, I'm on target now. Here's another thing that he learned in the palace was authority and accountability to three things. Time, talent, and his treasury. He was, he was under authority, he was accountable under that authority, and he invested his time, his talent, and his treasure. You see, when we lack accountability, if there's no accountability at the top, then we have tyranny. If we have no accountability at the bottom, we have anarchy. And what anarchy leads to is idolatry. And let me say this to you. Idolatry winds up in government. And what government does under idolatry, it just organizes all those idols. So if we got God's government and his government in place, they would organize his ways. Uh, you don't hear me. And so we're living right now in many nations of the world under organized idols that are suppressing the nations of the world. And the church is so out of a line and lacks governmental authority that we have no power to overcome it. We only have government enough to exist. Am I right? Authority, accountability. God help us. You 
see, our accountability today is when we throw the rock and then we drop our hands. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. Yeah, it was you. I saw you put your hand down. That wasn't my hand. That was my wife's hand. <laughs> okay. Here's another one. What he learned in the palace was the difference between a project mindset and a palace mindset. An earthly mindset robs us of an awakening into the eternal realms. You're not a mission. You're a movement. And a movement has to flow in the eternity of what God has ordained. If eternity is only a category and not a conviction, then we have no message for the world. The reason we see the zombies, walking dead, you know, par paranormal, all that kind of spooky stuff that's out there, you know why? Because there's a vacuum of understanding the afterlife. And the church has taught people to wait for the afterlife instead of raising them up to live in the afterlife today. Yeah. Sit down with some young people and start talking about the afterlife. They'll talk to you more about hell than they will heaven because it's a vacuum in the church. You know why? Because the church doesn't understand it. Is all right, JJ? We okay? Thank you, dear. All right. I'm working on my bubble. That light's going to pop in a minute. Right? If you weren't here, you don't understand. That's all right. You've been, you're forgiven. With a project mindset, we are always looking for pity. But with a palace mindset, we're always looking for the avenue of penetration. How can I penetrate the darkness to dispel it? How can I penetrate it that I can leave the dust of eternity in this place that cannot be vacuumed up, but the smell of it is always there in, oh, in every way? Where can I penetrate today? See, a palace mindset is always looking for that place, always looking in that realm. When you're in Jamaica, you should be looking for those realms to penetrate those places to deposit an element of eternity that's not there. Here's another thing he learned in the palace, and it was this. The ability to develop to develop the ability of calculation. He goes to the king, chapter 2, verse 6. He goes to the king and he says, King, you know, this is what's happened. He goes through his discourse. And the king says, Okay, I'm going to send you. He said, How long? How long is it going to take? And Nehemiah gave him an answer. You see, we get into some, pro, pro, 
We get into some things in the church, and we think they're perpetual. When the truth is they died a long time ago, and you need to go and bury the thing. Where it says in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 13, it says, and prophecy fails. You've read that before, you know, love and all that stuff. It says prophecy fails. The word fails there is interesting. It means to complete its cycle. There's some prophecies that have completed their cycle in your life and you're still hanging on to them like they've never been fulfilled and they've been done a long time ago and you're still hanging on to those prophecies. Bury them and burn the paper they're written on. I like what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, the opportunity of a lifetime is seized in the time of the opportunity. You see, I don't have a hard time hearing from God and getting a word from God. My struggle is the timing. How many have ever missed God's timing? And what does the devil do? He comes, man, and he starts beating you down. That wasn't God in the first place. Listen, just because you missed it, get up, dust yourself off, and hang on to what he said. Because surely, steadfastly, it shall come to pass, is what the scripture says. And we wait around, we wait around. Why? I like what Abraham Lincoln says. He says, when timing meets opportunity, miracles happen. You want a miracle? Figure out the timing and the opportunity that's there. How long? Also, in, a, in that ability to calculate the resources that's needed. I'm amazed that guys get a vision. They have no idea where the resources are going to come from. They've not prayed that in. They've not thought it through. They've not dialogued about it. They've not counseled over it. Well, God's going to provide. What if he doesn't? So what do we do? We're praying, and everybody we run around, we tell them, listen, i got a vision from God, and God's going to provide like you're the candidate. And they hand you their envelope, you know, and all this good stuff. If the Lord should move upon you, he won't. Okay, I'll leave that alone, all right. Why? Because the resources that's needed, the reason they've not come to you is because you haven't adjusted to the present mindset of the season you're in. Elijah sat down by the brook. And man, he drank and he ate from the crow. I mean, how would you like to have that for a meal? Your server was a raven. <laughs> That's one of the funniest passages in the scripture, I think, you know. What's for supper tonight, bread? You know, what, would you like something to drink? Yeah, water. There was no tea, no lemonade back in those days, you know. Then all of a sudden the brook dries up and the ravens decide to go on strike. The union is now not working. Why? Because when God gets ready to shift you, He'll withhold from you to get you moving again. And what do we do? We cry. <laughs> oh, God, I don't have any money. God says, yeah, you got plenty. I don't see it in my hand. Don't worry, it's coming. 
because it's already there. But I ain't got you where I need you. Why? Because you're trying to you're trying to raise money for an old season that's dying, and I'm trying to get you in a new season that you're going to need new resources in order to achieve what I have for you. Y'all don't look at me in that tone of voice. Let me give you one more, and I'm, I'm going to finish. It's not that I'm done. I'm just finishing. But in a palace mentality, a product of the palace, Nehemiah, he learned to anticipate obstacles. He learned to anticipate them. He's not expecting them. He's not saying, well, where's the devil coming from? You know? And it's amazing to me, the minute an attack comes, we no longer are talking about the mission that God's called us into. All we talk about is the attack. Oh, man, I'm under it right now. Well, get out from underneath it. Get back on what God's called you to do. Get back in that place here. Now, listen, the reason the obstacles come along, listen to this, it's very important, is because the answer is not in your present mindset. Not in your present mindset. I want you to get rid of a word in your vocabulary. This word, hard. Would everybody say that with me for the last time in your life? It's so hard. Oh, come on. You sound like you're not going through anything. Let's, let's say it again. It's so hard. Yeah, let's get rid of that word. Let's adopt this word. It's so new. I don't know everything about it. I don't know anything about it. I know, but God's leading me into it. And so wherever he's leading me into it, he, I'm doing a new thing. And I'm walking in a new place with God where I have never been before. And, man, there are things that I'm getting ready to learn that I have not learned before. It's not hard. It is new. And I'm walking in the newness of life that God has given to me. That's where I am. If you anticipate the obstacles the enemy brings your way. Listen to me. One of the definitions of the kingdom is to rule a sphere. And you will not rule a sphere in an old mindset. You have to rule the sphere in a new mindset. And that's why it seems so difficult for us to get over to that place. And Nehemiah understood this. Some of the guys that he went and he looked up, he didn't get those guys that were commoners. He got those guys that were aware of royalty. They were educated. They were experienced, according to chapter 5. They were people that had some understanding that if I just keep focusing on what's hard, I will not be able to do what God wants me to do. So i got to go find those that are like-minded, that have a royalty mindset, and I can go out, and they've got education. They've got experience. They've been trained. They've been equipped. They're ready to move forward. And those people, I can go and I can build the wall and restore the city. That's what he was saying. Listen, movements, they come and go. They come and go. We have great services. There's some services, man, I mean, you just, it's like the roof is being blown off and everybody thinks, God, God, God's given us a, a, a visitation. And it may be, but that's not God's goal. God's goal is a habitation. He wants to come and set up his throne. 
and everything around that throne. He wants to, to be functioning and operating. And he doesn't want a habitation where he just comes in on Sunday morning and says, here I am, gang. When you can walk into this place, man, you feel a presence. You feel a spirit. You feel the anointing. You feel the eldership. You feel the angels. You feel all those dynamics that are around the throne room of God. Why? Because God has come and made a throne in the midst of us. That's what he's doing. He's not interested in just a movement. But let me show, show you how shallow the church is today. All they want is a move of God. How many remember the laughter movement? Remember that? How many fell on the floor laughing? Okay, what's wrong with the rest of you liars? I'm telling you, you know. I remember doing that. You know, I said to this guy, this little guy from Australia, man, he hit me about my belly button, you know, and... Uh, and he was saying, you, come here, in that accent. I said, okay, so I went down there, and I thought, man, this guy's knocking, not knocking me down to the floor. i got a long ways to fall. He doesn't have as far to fall as I do. He's, he's not knocking me down. I'm standing there, and he just lifted his hand. Next thing I know, I'm looking up at the ceiling. And thousands flocked to those meetings. Where are they today? I know many of them. They're battling depression, discouragement, defeat. Many of them are out of the kingdom. Not out of the church. They're out of the kingdom. Why? Because they look for a movement instead of the God of the movement. <laughs> Our church in Houston at that time, we had many meetings like that. But Our pastor, he and I sat down one day and we had a long talk about this. And he gave me some great advice. He said, Terry, this is what he told me. Movements come and go. But he said, we're called to build. He said, I don't care. They can come in. They can laugh. They can throw everybody on the floor. They can swing from the chandeliers. They can jump the, the chairs. They can do whatever they want to. But I'm going to continue to build. And he did. Man, I'm telling you, they, they still had their Bible teaching going on. They still had their classes for kids. They still had that. But listen, right here in this state, right here in this state, there's a pastor that dropped everything, had a large church, seat about 10,000. He dropped everything for the movement. That, day, that church sits there today as an empty tomb. Why? Because he shifted from building to moving. Some of you are waiting for a next movement. God says, I'm waiting to build you. I'm wanting to build you. See, I need people that I can build with. So apostolic protocols. I said this at last year. There were several things that God began to show me about what the church needs to do in this juncture. And one of the things, there's many of them. There's about six or seven of the things that God showed me. One of the things was we need to establish apostolic and prophetic protocols. We have them for pastors, we have them for teachers, we have them for evangelists. But where are the protocols for the apostles and prophets? Most of what we've gone through, we've left them confused. But, but you've got to learn some things. And that takes some things for you to invest your time, just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah... He went to the king's palace. 
He was a young boy when he was there. We don't know really what age he was when he had this uh, encounter about the, the walls of Jerusalem. We don't really know. He could have been an older man. We don't know. Or I don't know. I'll put it that way. But what we do know is the fact that he launched himself just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like those others. They wound up in the royal court, and they wound up under royalty. And a lot of times we have settled for so little when God has promised us so much.